Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com is your home for our show, plus much more. Big program coming up today. It is the day that the MLS playoffs in 2015 get underway. That'll certainly be part of our discussion. We've got Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now joining us at 9.40 a.m. Eastern Time. So we have a, a block of time between the news and Brian's appearance for you to get in. We'll open up the phone lines, let you have... Your say on, on whether it's uh, whether it's the MLS Cup playoffs or something else that we're going to hit on here because there are some other news items. Let's do that. Let's get underway. The all-time leading scorer in international soccer, Abby Wambach, announces her retirement at the end of 2015. She played 252 times for the U.S. Women's National Team to this point, uh, scored 184 goals, 2012 FIFA Player of the Year, obviously an immense figure in women's soccer, in uh, in American soccer, in U.S. Uh, in the U.S. program, uh, did go out as a champion as part of the U.S. Women's National Team World Cup uh, squad from uh, from this summer. Although her, obviously her role had diminished over the years, uh, lots of words being spilled on Abby Wambach. I don't have anything else to add to what um, smarter, more uh, more. Um, more knowledgeable people have said other than she was an amazing player uh, I think her head alone was is something like the fourth all-time leading scorer in uh, in American soccer history so there you go Sepp Blatter tells the Russian news agency TASS that there was an implicit agreement to give the World Cups of 2018 and 2022 to Russia and the United States this is kind of a bombshell that has been uh, dropped this morning this interview in this interview uh, Blatter indicates that the entirety of the FIFA scandal started out as a personal attack by Michel Platini, that things have fallen apart. If if uh, Platini had not changed his mind and gone with uh, Qatar after a meeting with Qatari officials in 2010 and the plan and this agreement, this uh, this implicit agreement to give Russia, the United States, the World Cups, uh, that's uh, that's news to everybody. Uh, it's one of the things that's coming out of this that's surprising here. Uh, clearly not on the up and up. And Platini supposedly changing his mind and going with Qatar, set in motion the things that have landed us here. Uh, he says that uh, England are poor, uh, poor losers in their bid for the World Cup in 2018. Uh, this is there's a lot to unpack here. I'm only just sort of diving into into it myself. When you look at the headlines as written up. Um, by various soccer outlets. FIFA President Seth Blatter hits out at Michelle Platini, England and the U.S. That's from our friend Stefan Ersfeld over at ESPN FC. He suggested that, uh, Seth Blatter suggested he could stay in on, his, on the job if there's not a clear winner after the February 26th election, or rather his, uh, his advisor did. Uh, he said, at the beginning, it was only a personal attack. It was Platini against me. English, England against Russia. They lost the World Cup, and the U.S. lost the World Cup against Qatar. But you cannot destroy FIFA. FIFA is not a Swiss bank. FIFA is not a commercial company. So what they have done together with the Swiss, they have created this attack towards FIFA and the president of FIFA. And I'm sure at the beginning, when UEFA said they don't want me, they didn't, they didn't know that finally it came out with such political importance. He talks about, a, uh, uh, he talks about the political issue between the United States and Russia. And adds uh, this may have been part of uh, the downfall of FIFA. It, it, it's it's a rambling mess of an interview 
with some very interesting information. We'll continue to monitor that and get more into it later in the show. Uh, speaking of FIFA and speaking of the election, which apparently will go on, seven candidates have been confirmed as having made the deadline to get into the field. One candidate was eliminated. David Nekid from Trinidad and Tobago drops out or is um, uh, is removed from the list. Apparently one of his nomination letters came from a country that had already nominated another candidate. That means we have seven official candidates. Michel Platini, Prince Ali bin al-Hussein, Gianni Infantino, Tex, uh, Tokyo Sequale, uh, Musa Belidi, uh, Jerome Champagne, and Sheikh Salman bin Ibrahim al-Khalifa. There's your list. It's, uh, it's quite the field. League Cup yesterday, shockers. Arsenal knocked out by Sheffield Wednesday 3-0. Chelsea falling to penalties, falling on penalties to Stoke City after a 1-1 draw. They had a late equalizer just to push that game into extra time and penalties. Everton passed Norwich on penalties. Chelsea, uh, sorry, the, the, in the Chelsea game, before I get to Everton and Norwich, uh, Diego Costa suffers a, a rib injury that may keep him out of this weekend's match against Liverpool. He had to go to the hospital when asked how it happened. Jose Mourinho said he punched himself. I have not seen this incident, but that sounds amazing. Everton gets past Norwich on penalties. Hull knocks out Leicester on penalties. Games today, Liverpool against Bournemouth. City versus Palace. Southampton versus Villa. And United versus Middlesbrough. The Philadelphia Union announced yesterday their new USL team, Bethlehem Steel FC. The club is reviving that uh, long-dead brand name, the, 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 the club name, Bethlehem Steel, one of the uh, most famous names in ancient American soccer history, pre-modern American soccer history, certainly a club with uh, massive success in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, obviously, this is a name, not necessarily the direct lineage, the, the logo, the badge itself that the union have created incorporates both elements of both the Bethlehem Steel uh, logo, um, from the 20s and 30s, as well as the Philadelphia Union logo, it seems to be it seems to be a bit of a split over whether or not this is a, a great move for 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 Philadelphia Union. But they will certainly sell some gear uh, with that logo on it. The MLS playoffs get underway tonight, as I mentioned. DC United hosting New England Revolution at 7:30 p.m. Eastern. Seattle hosting the Galaxy. That's the big one. I'm sorry, it is the bigger one. At 10 p.m. Eastern, both games on Unimas tonight. So the knockout round's underway. Let's take a break. When we come back, Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now. We'll talk to him about the state of the U.S. program, the U-17s and Richie Williams, and is Jurgen Klinsmann still technical director? Don't go anywhere. Bear it back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. I got my wires crossed. That's my fault. Apologies. Brian Sharetta at 940, so right now is your time. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Uh, Jump on in. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We can talk about the MLS Cup playoffs. 
We could talk about FIFA shenanigans, Subblatter's interview with the Russian news agency. And by the way, that, that's the government news agency, correct? Let's just make sure we properly contextualize this interview with Seb Blatter. This is a man who has been known to morph his message and turn his, his rhetoric in the direction that he's, uh, of the people he's talking to. Certainly, he curries favor. That's his, his personality. Just remember that. Oh, and we can also talk about Chelsea and their continuing crisis. It's a crisis at Chelsea, guys. It's bad. I mean, it really is. And we've got, uh, there, there's so much speculation when it comes to Jose Mourinho and his job prospects. And again, I, you know, you, you think Jose Mourinho, they'll give him a chance. They'll give him a chance, except consider the guy who's in charge of Chelsea, ultimately, the guy who, who makes those decisions. It's Roman Abramovich. This is not a guy who got where he is to a point where he had enough money to own Chelsea and sail that incredibly ridiculous yacht around the world by being a nice person. That's just, he's not, that's, he's got to be impatient here. He's, and he, he's at falling out, fallings out with uh, Jose before. All right, Stephen Clark, because I put it out there on Twitter. We could talk about playoffs, Chelsea, FIFA, or breakfast food, whatever, whatever's on your mind. I'm, I'm starving this morning. I had, I had an apple. That's probably not a healthy breakfast, but neither is this, Stephen. More people need to know what Scrapple is, the underrated dark horse of breakfast foods. My hot take of the morning. Scrapple, Scrapple is not for the faint. Scrapple is an acquired taste. Let's just say that, okay? Scrapple is, it, it's, it's okay. I, I'm not a huge Scrapple fan. I'm not saying it's disgusting, but it borders on problematic. Scrapple, okay? Trevor, have you ever had Scrapple? Do you even know what that means? Is that a, is that a, I don't even know, is that a New England thing, a, a New York thing? They even have Scrapple? I mean, when people talk about what hot dogs are made of, they should eat some Scrapple because that's, that's the act. Never mind. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Uh, let's go back to uh, Twitter here. Lions Roar pointing out, OC Lions Roar, that uh, we, we had a, a brief discussion about College soccer scholarships uh, and, and, and players coming over here, uh, foreign players coming over here to get an opportunity to play. Guys like Dom Dwyer, guys like Steve Zakawani. Uh, OC Lions Roar says, um, concerning Tuesday's discussion on foreign players taking U.S. scholarships, there's a limit, at least at the college, junior college level. Okay, I, I'm sure there are limits in place. And, and you know, it's a, it's a, there, I'm sure there's something. You have to go through a clearinghouse. It's not like you're just immediately eligible you got to get your academics in order. I mean, that's why Dom Dwyer went to a junior college, I'm sure, to make sure that when he, when he started, that may not have always been the plan. There may have been a plan to get him to a, to a bigger school, and yet, oh, well, we've got to work him through. He's a, he's a kid who spent you know, his teenage years, his formative years, playing in, in clubs, and maybe his education was a little behind. I don't, I don't know that it was. I'm just saying. Maybe there was something else that worked there. Uh, but it's all worked out for Dom Dwyer, and I think American soccer is probably better off for having Dom Dwyer and for him having the opportunity to come over here and continue his career. A guy with uh, with obvious talent, who for whatever reason wasn't it wasn't working out in England. And I want to get into a whole discussion about comparing the two leagues. All right, six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. 
I, I don't know where to go. I've laid out those things. I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll start with the playoffs, okay? Uh, 2000, uh, 2015 MLS Cup playoffs beginning tonight. DC United hosting the New England Revolution at RFK Stadium at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Check your local listings for your Unimas network. That's where it's going to be. Uh, if you want to listen in English, you get Ramsey Sandoval and Keith Costigan. And I did see on Twitter yesterday Keith Costigan talking to Grant Wall. Apparently, he and Ramsey's are calling all four of the MLS knockout round playoff games via the SAP function on your on your cable provider on your whatever because they all they do it from a obviously a studio in LA and it's all off of monitors and uh, doesn't really matter I guess that they're going to do all four. I, I I I just when you're in that position, if you're Ramsey Sandoval, do you have to like remember not to say we're live here because you can't be like we're here at RFK Stadium for DC United New England, and then like two and a half hours later go we're here at Quest at Century Lake Field. I don't know. Let's check in with Mike up in Philadelphia. What's going on, Mike? Hey Jason, uh, you were talking about scrapples, so I have to direct the conversation towards Philadelphia a little bit. Ah, uh, yes. It's got a, a Scrap- big Philly thing. thing. Yeah, a huge Philly thing. Go ahead. And it's delicious, by the way. <laughs> Not an acquired taste. Instant satisfaction touching your tongue. Okay. But, right. uh, anyway. <laughs> um, wanted to talk a little bit, of, and I've, I missed the show the past couple of days, so I apologize if you got into Ernie Stewart and Bethlehem Steel at all, but what do you think about the moves the union's been making, and uh, what can we expect from Ernie Stewart? Do you think he keeps Jim Curtin around? I mean, for the foreseeable future, it seems like he might. Well, that's already uh, been confirmed. That 2016, well, okay, right now. I don't know if there's going to be um, a change between now and the beginning of the year, but they, they've already outwardly stated that Jim Curtin will keep the job for 2016. Uh, if I was a union fan, Mike, I would be ecstatic right now. Um, you know, considering where, where the club is, Relatively speaking, I would be super excited about what might happen, what might be coming. Ernie Stewart taking charge, a guy again with, who who engenders so much conf, I mean, so much respect uh, around American soccer circles. Has good connections in Europe. Certainly has a uh, a pipeline to Dutch talent if he wants to t- to utilize that. I'm not saying he will, but there's something there. Maybe um, a guy that uh, just immediately screams competency has an understanding of, of American players, certainly from his time as a U.S. international. Uh, maybe needs a, maybe we'll need a little help navigating the MLS rules, but I, I, I know that they've got, um, they've got some people in place that certainly know the league. Uh, when it comes to... Uh, the only thing that I, I wonder there is I, there, there was a... Well, actually, I don't, I don't want to go into this because there, there was a story that leaked out or, or there was, that was reported yesterday that turned out either to be false or was just flat-out denied by the people involved, so I, I don't want to go into that. Uh, but everything seems fine on that front, or at least positive, moving in the right direction. And Bethlehem Steel, I mean, you got a USL team now. I mean, you don't have to go with the, uh, the sort of half measure that is the affiliate team. Who are they, who are they partnered with? Harrisburg? So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's all positive, Mike. I mean, yeah, you want your team. You're you're upset your team didn't make the playoffs. You're upset that they were bad this year. You're upset you missed out on the U.S. Open Cup title. You have to be excited about what next year might bring. Yeah, it's it's almost strange feeling optimistic. And <laughs> I mean, for me, this USL team, I think this could be the game changer. Okay. Uh, really, because. We hear all these things about the Union Academy prospects, and all they do is fizzle out because they have nowhere to go. And Harrisburg was a black hole for a moment. I'm really hoping that 
and combined with Ernie being able to identify young talent and sort of create a pipeline for these guys that, I mean, the union could potentially filter all these guys through Bethlehem and really create a minor league system to call these guys up and have some legitimate players. Do you, do you, do you, Mike, do you like the, the, do you like using Bethlehem steel? Uh, I'll tell you, I personally, uh, I love using it from a standpoint of, I just, I don't know, I'm sort of a soccer nerd and think it's cool having that history revived. I have no issues with them using the name. I know people complain, but even the fact that they put a 16 on the crest and not 1907 is enough to show they're uh, connecting themselves to the past, but distancing themselves as uh, a completely distinct team. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a name. It's the same as Sanders, Cosmos, Whitecaps, whatever. I mean, I know it's a little different with how much of a long break there was, but... Uh, yeah, I have more issue, and I know it's not a big deal because the team's going to be training at PPL Park, but the distance between Bethlehem and Chester. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, look, if they're just playing up there on game days, whatever, they can drive the hour to Bethlehem. Uh, it's not a big deal, I guess. But driving an hour to a home game seems a little silly to me. But aside from that, uh, I absolutely love everything they've been doing, and I think the branding's pretty cool actually right. fair enough a lot of reason to be positive in philly gotta let you go uh mike appreciate the call anything else before i do and i lost mike i think yep there goes mike let's turn to uh bill in new york what's up bill hey jason i was just uh calling about the playoffs and how great of a start of the playoffs this is going to be because who would have ever thought seattle versus la isn't the biggest game of these first two days. I, I think the Montreal-Toronto game is incredible. How yeah. that, those two teams ended up lining up against each other in the first round of the playoffs is great. I yeah. think it's awesome for the playoffs. I think that game is going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm sort of with you on that. I mean, obviously, you know, you can make an argument that it's about two guys, but, you know, th- there's a lot loaded into that game because of the 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 – you know the political history of Canada. There's obviously a natural rivalry. They hate each other in hockey. They hate each other in Canadian football. Uh, when they had baseball teams, they never played because they're in different leagues. But they hate each other in soccer now, and that's uh, bringing a bringing a new element to it. Um, I think the atmosphere at Stad Saputo should be fantastic. I mean, I am excited for LA and Seattle, though. I, I don't know how many tickets they've sold for Seattle, but I expect it to be. As loud as it usually is, and, uh, and and with considering how 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 dominant LA's been over the past uh, four years, winning uh, winning these MLS cups, uh, where they are, it, it, I mean this this has the potential. You, you don't even have it's almost like you have no expectation from for LA. Not that you don't think they can win, but if they did, you would go, oh, that's just LA. And if they lose, you go, well, they weren't very good. They weren't as good this year. So it's we have no idea what's going to happen, Bill. I love it. Now, would, uh, if Toronto loses, is this year a failure for them? Uh, man, with the, considering the money, considering the season Javinko has had, I, I want to say I, I want to say no because they hadn't been in the playoffs before. But this is one game, so I, I think, and it's your biggest rival. So yeah, it probably is. It probably is. Yeah, 
It's probably a I failure. Think so too, man. Yeah, you have to at and least the season, at least make that final eight. I mean, at least get into that 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 quarterfinal round, essentially the, the conference semifinals, and, and and have two games and have a home game. I think if you don't have a home playoff game, you could consider it a failure. Because I remember, uh, some, I think yesterday you were talking about the stories before the season started, and one of the big stories how to beat Toronto just making the playoffs. Yeah, and here they are. They made the playoffs. And I think he's going to get knocked out by Montreal in the first round, which would be the, a horrible loss for them because they would rather lose to anybody than Montreal. And I think their season's going to go down as a failure again. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, you know, they know they have issues. Um, getting here is the first hurdle. If they don't clear the next one, if they don't beat the impact. And they made it hard on themselves by losing on the weekend uh, to, to Montreal. I mean, that's the thing. This is a back-to-back against the impact. Um, you have Again, you have Jovinko versus Drogba. You have uh, all of the rivalry that's built into this, and it's for this is the biggest thing they've ever played for. I mean, I know they've played for Canadian championships before, but come on, this is the highest stakes we've ever had for a Montreal Toronto soccer match. Now, how many people are going to get at that game? How many people? What now? Is that a huge stadium? Is that a big stadium? At, uh, Montreal? I think Stad Saputo seats about twenty. I think it's pretty standard in MLS side. Uh, size uh, twenty thousand five twenty one. Yeah, it's it's not a massive building, so uh, it's going to be packed. Absolutely going to be packed. Right. Bill, looking forward to it. Thanks, all right, Jason. man. Good stuff, Bill. Up in New York, talking MLS Cup playoffs. He's got to wait a little while before his boys get started. That's the weekend. Patrick, South Carolina, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, sir. What's on your mind? All right, I'm going to talk a little bit about. Uh, USL, I guess. Uh, I'm calling from South Carolina, but I'm originally from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. born in Philadelphia. And do you like do you like do you like Scrapple? Do you like Scrapple, Patrick? I'm a Union fan, Patrick. Yes. Do you like Scrapple? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, both my parents are actually transports transplants to Pennsylvania, so ah. I've never really had Scrapple. So you don't you don't have it being passed down? Okay, I understand. All right, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean no, to interrupt I mean, you, but Scrapple came I, up. I love cheese steaks, but right. you know, I don't know, Scrapple's a little more. <laughs> Pennsylvania thing. It's not. It doesn't get picked up as much. People move there. Sure. Or a few people do move to Pennsylvania. I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. Go ahead, Patrick. Talk about it. Anyway, USL. Well, listen. I, I am a Union fan. I was born in Philadelphia, but I uh, spent the majority of my life growing up in Central Pennsylvania. And uh, I guess we've had a USL club there for a while, the Harrisburg City Islanders. So uh, I may be one of the few people who's uh, a little bit bummed out by the Bethlehem Steel uh, club being formed because uh, now that means. Uh, City Islanders aren't going to have a partnership with the union. And I don't know, I just want your thoughts on, you know, how do you think these USL clubs that aren't affiliated or losing their affiliation are going to really kind of operate and market themselves going forward, uh, not just to fans, but also to players? Because I, I kind of worry that, you know, it's a tough sell to get players to try and go play at, at a USL club where the pain may not be great, and the mobility upward to some other league, you know, such as MLS, may be a lot harder given the fact that now all these clubs have reserve sides where, you know. Well, yeah, okay, maybe. But, 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 but uh, Patrick, the other, the other argument is playing in a league that has all of these uh, US, uh, uh, sorry, all of these MLS reserve sides gives players who are with these independent clubs an opportunity to showcase, them, showcase the case themselves for MLS coaches. So if you if you're like oh well I haven't gotten my shot yet or um, you know I need to I need to put myself out there if I want an MLS gig, 
Go sign up for you know. Go play for the Islanders. Sign a deal with the Islanders. Now you're getting games against the Union team, against the Red Bulls second uh, team. You're getting games against uh, you know against these U.S. Uh, against these MLS clubs, uh, MLS run clubs who are run by MLS coaches. They're going to go back and say, "Hey, I saw this amazing winger playing for Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. We should we should look into him." Mm-hmm. But 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 in, right. in terms of the the dynamics of the league, I mean, I think you bring up a good point. Every time we talk about the USL um and we've we recently talked to the to the CEO of the USL whatever his title is uh his name escapes me Trevor will help me out i i asked about it because it, it remains a, conti- a continuing fascination how do you balance out being a league that has the Rochester Rhinos the Harrisburg City Islanders the Richmond Kickers and then also has you know Red Bulls 2 and Seattle 2 and yeah Bethlehem Steel's a, a an independent name but it's still we know what that is that's a reserve team for the union right, of course I, I I I don't know and there is a competitive element to it because clearly if you're running a, a USL team as an MLS club you're using that as a development opportunity I mean you want them to be successful and win because that creates the habit of winning but really what you what you care about most is making those those guys ready to play at this at the top level so you may you may swap out a lineup for no other reason than I got to get this kid minutes, not because he's the best player I've got, which changes the competitive environment for a Rochester who just wants to go out and win games. Uh, right. I mean, that's my thoughts exactly. And especially another thing that crossed my mind is the whole fan base and fandom aspect because it puts the USL in a really kind of all these – B-sides coming in puts it in a really weird place compared to both other lower division leagues, foreign and, uh, you know, other minor leagues here, because here, you know, we have all these minor league teams that essentially serve the same function as USL, the B-farm team there to give kids minutes, but, you know, they're all, even though they may be located in other cities, almost all of them, you know, funnel back to someone, uh, yeah. you know, in Harrisburg, our other minor league sports teams generally funnel into uh, the DC teams. Um, and I don't know. I feel like it kind of leaves these unaffiliated clubs in a weird place that they may need to start trying to really put themselves out there as, hey, we're our own thing yeah. for this town. Yeah. Um, as opposed to other minor league sports, because they don't have as much else going for them. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's I, it, part of my worry is just you know, the Harrisburg City Islanders. You've ever heard anything about where in kind of dire straits in terms of uh, the player facilities, yeah. staff available for the players, the grounds, you know, uh, the marketing, it's all pretty bad. And, you know, I just worry that maybe without some of these parent clubs, you know, even to help uh, these smaller franchises in other cities that, you know, things could go bad for these non-second team sides. Yeah, look, and I think it's very important for USL to keep these teams going. They, they, they've got to, you, you can't have teams dying off. It was a problem with the previous, uh, you know, versions of the USL before we had those NASL teams split off. Uh, you, you've, you've, you've revised your business model. You've chosen to go very region heavy, uh, regional. You, you, you've brought in all these teams. You've partnered with MLS. You're bringing all, all these reserve teams. Those teams that are independent, I think, are, are crucial. I think you have to keep the battery and the, uh, and FC Cincinnati, well, they're brand new. They haven't even started yet. But uh, teams like uh, the Richmond Kickers, the Rochester Rhinos, the Harrisburg City Islanders, you got to keep them going. They sort of have to be the backbone of the league because, yeah, those MLS teams 
are are good in terms of the quality of, of the league, but they they again you, they don't bring anything identity wise because that identity belongs to MLS. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So, all right. Weird spot, yeah. Patrick, appreciate the phone call, man. All right. Thank you very much for taking my call. All right. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for giving us your opinion on Scrapple. By the way, if you're not familiar with what Scrapple is, and it's it is a very it is a very Pennsylvania thing. It's a tradition. It's traditionally a mush of pork scraps and trimmings combined with cornmeal and wheat flour and spices. The mush is formed into a semi-solid congealed loaf, and slices of the scrapple are then pan-fried before serving. Think, think spam, but cr- like with uh, some d- very different consistency. It's not the it, it, in terms of meat products. It's sort of ident- unidentifiable meat when you look at it, but then you pan-fry it. Yeah, it's interesting. Scrapple is typically made of hog offal, such as the head, heart, liver, and other trimmings, which are boiled with any bones attached to make a broth. This is, is this appetizing? Anybody, anybody want some Scrapple right now? I mean, it's better than it sounds. Let me just say that. It is better than it sounds. But it's, a, it's an acquired taste. It's, it's, a, it's a very different thing. I tend to put, I know they're completely different food products coming from completely different places but i tend to put scrapple sort of in the same category as grits not that again they're not one's meat one's not but just in the fact that they're very regional breakfast foods and they're not for everybody i don't like grits i don't i don't know what the hell grits are supposed to be but they're not good and i know i'm probably upsetting some people in the south right now mike says get your get your scrapples thin and crispy that's, I guess that's the key to good Scrapple. Thin and crispy. Okay. 646-832-3909. A couple minutes here ahead of Brian Sharetta from American Soccer. Now, talk to him again about the U-17s bombing out of the World Cup in the group stage. Whether or not Richie Williams gets to keep his job as the U-17 head coach. The, the internal power struggle that may or may not be happening in U.S. soccer. Brian's opinion on that. And look. Is Jurgen Klinsmann the acting technical director, or is he simply holding on to a title he no longer actually has in reality? Very interesting times at U.S. Soccer. I mean, I'll get Brian obviously writes at the website, but I'll get his thoughts on Klinsmann sharing Wendy Thomas's interesting piece on a look at Klinsmann's tenure. It's not. It's not what Thomas wrote. She wrote a fine piece that that was reasonable and well thought out certainly had some good points to be made it's it's that action that Klinsman took to share something that certainly in some ways shown a positive light on his tenure as technical director because that's a step beyond the typical responses to media that we should get from coach I mean you just don't see it you don't you just don't see it to sort of be out there on Twitter saying, hey, everybody, look at this good thing about me while we're losing, while our team is losing to our biggest rivals. Let's go to Gio in Texas. What's up, Gio? I did not get Gio. Let's try that one more time. Gio, there you are. 
Hey, Jason, good morning. Good morning, my friend. I mean, it was a pretty good morning until you decided to describe Scrapple to me. <laughs> um, come on, I come mean, on. G- look, look, Gio, sure Gio. You're from Texas. I'm there's sure. there's got to be something weird that people from Texas eat that's on the same level as Scrapple. Don't act like there's not. There's got to be something, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that there is, but I'm not going to describe it to you <laughs> after you just had your morning breakfast and coffee. All right, fair all enough. Right? Fair enough, Gio. I apologize. <laughs> all right, what's on your mind? No, I was, was uh, going to talk about the, um, so uh, I was listening to your last caller talk about USL and, you know, the kind of hinky it is with all of these uh, MLS 2 clubs, you yeah. know, whether they decide to brand themselves as 2 or B or what have you. Um, I was just thinking, you know, uh, with uh, Spurs potentially buying uh, the stadium, but not the Scorpions, and then just creating their own team for USL. I had no idea that was happening. You know, what? Is that new? I'm sorry? Is that new news? I haven't seen that ru- that rumor. Is that a rumor? It's actually old news at this oh, point. It's wow. like two or three weeks old. Uh, Spurs looking to buy a Toyota Field, but not the Scorpions themselves. Interesting. So the idea is that the Scorpions just kind of die, and now we have a, three, uh, a USL team that's probably completely new. Interesting. Okay, uh, go ahead. So the... So here's my my issue with this is that that worries me, not because uh, San Antonio isn't the soccer town, but because of all of those MLS two teams. You know, we're one of the better attended teams right now in NASL, but you know, as it is when you move up to 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 the MLS. You know, you get this huge boost in numbers. You know, Orlando, they they, they weren't breaking 10,000 when they were in USL. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're one of the best attended uh, clubs in MLS. Likewise, if you move down, are we going to lose Are we going to lose attendance in our, you know, 8,000 seat stadium? Is that going to be half full now from the rest, for the rest of the yeah. USL? You know, actually, I think that Orlando actually did really well with their attendance in USL. So I'm not sure that's the best example, Gio. But you, you look, you, 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 if the fans, if the soccer fans of San Antonio want to show their support for soccer, I mean, I, I don't know that, should, should the league matter? I mean, should it matter? And shouldn't there be something to be? I'm, look, I'm I'm reasoning this out. I mean, I can't. I gotta let you go. By the way, I gotta get ready for Brian Sharetta. So appreciate the call. But just to give some thoughts on that, if if you're a soccer fan and you got a local team, it shouldn't really matter what league they're playing in, right? I mean, it's you want it to be the highest possible, just because you want your team to succeed. But if they happen to be in USL, you support them in USL. If they happen to be in NASL, you support them in NASL. If they happen to be MLS, you support them in MLS. And from a, a USL perspective, if that happened and the Spurs came in, bought Toyota, whatever that is, stadium, and got rid of the NASL team and brought in a USL, started scratch from scratch with a USL team, then, then maybe it's about scalps. Let's go out and get some MLS scalps when we can play them. I mean, those second teams. Certainly US Open Cup, as always. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, good friend of the show, Brian Sharetta will join us to talk to him about the state the U.S. Soccer Program, U-17s out of the World Cup, and Jurgen Klinsmann, as always, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning, a show on which we do not talk about breakfast nearly enough. I'll admit that, okay? we It's, it's Soccer Morning, and I get into soccer pretty quickly, and we sort of skip over the whole breakfast thing. Brian, I, I mentioned Scrapple came up on the show today for some reason. Are you a Scrapple guy? No, I'm not. I'm afraid, uh, afraid I can't help you there. <laughs> okay. No Scrapple for Brian Shredder. Well, he does have as much soccer knowledge. It's, uh, let's talk about uh, the U.S. Uh, U.S. soccer program and certainly MLS Cup playoffs. Some guys uh, in, that, uh, in that group of players making a case for January, maybe, Brian. Let me start with the U-17s. Oh, by the way, Brian Shredder, American Soccer Now. You guys all knew that. Brian... They did not make it out of the group stage. It was a tough group. There's no denying that. Uh, Nigeria, Croatia, uh, Chile, the hosts. But it's still a, it's still a pretty big disappointment. And I have to wonder what uh, what what the feeling is around Richie Williams at the U17 program right now. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be tough. I think for Richie to survive this, um, just because you have to look at things in, in totality. And the, the team did not play well. It's not like they, if they lost these games, but they put up a fight, that'd be one thing. But they, you know, we can talk about how they how they didn't do well in, in a second here. But also, you have to look at 2013, and uh, they didn't even qualify for the World Cup, which was shocking for this level. So, uh, you know, things are just not going well right now, and, and it's a result-oriented business, and um, and you got to produce. And yeah, I mean, it's like again, you also have to play well too, and, and show progress, and show that you're you're teaching the young kids the right thing, right right lessons, and um, and how to be a professional because it's an important transitional period uh, these couple of years in terms of going from an amateur to a professional. And you know what I what, what disappointed me about the team was is, is it really looked like a men, uh, a mental approach was off. They came out pretty strong in all three of the games. And then when the you know it's a soccer game you know like other sports too where other teams can you know control the ball for a little bit then the other team controls. U.S. came out strong, but then when the other team tried to respond, uh, the U.S. kind of caved in. I mean, we saw that against Croatia, Chile. I mean, the, and even Nigeria, the U.S. came out strong, and then when the other teams began to raise their level, there was no response from the U.S. team, and it just was a. Um, really led to like a downfall in every one of the games, and that's really kind of a mental approach. Why weren't they able to dig deep? Where was the grit? Where was the toughness to respond? I mean, because I do think that there is talented players here, but the me- the mental approach was very off. The uh, you know the, for as negative as it as it was, um, I think it's a, a trap to start wrapping up too much or you know putting too much stock into what youth teams, especially at the U seventeen level. Um, are doing in terms of winning and losing. I mean, it, it does matter, but how much it matters is an open question. What we what we should be concerned about absolutely is the level of talent there, um, more than whether they can play like a team. So I, I, let me ask you about the individual talent, Brian. Uh, three games isn't uh, isn't the, the showcase we wanted to get for some of these guys, but was there enough there that we can feel positive about some of those individuals? Yeah, I mean, certainly from an individual perspective, I think Christian Pulisic is the real deal. I think uh, there's a reason why. He, I mean, at this age, he just turned 17, that he's starting for Borussia Dortmund's U19 team. They really like him. He's he's on an impressive contract um, with them, and I think that they view him as a, one of their organization's top prospects. And that's for a reason. I think that you could see he was... You know, he, he, as, as that ten role, he's very good. I think Luca De La Torre. If you told me he was going to get his make his professional debut towards the end of the season with Fulham, I would not be surprised at all. 
I think he's a good player too. Danny Barbier looked good um, in central defense. Uh, and then, you know, uh, aside from that, I mean, we'll have to see with the other thing, other guys like Josh Perez and, um, you know, and a few other, uh, the other midfielders, it's really tough to predict at this age. I mean, it gets, the younger you go, the harder it is to right, uh, exactly. yeah. forecast out what is going to happen in like yeah. five years, six years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there is some individual talent. Um, but it's a question of none of these guys getting in good situations and, um, and being able to fluster their talent at the club level too. And then we'll see what happens as they go on to the U19 team, which is going to be starting up next year and maybe towards the U20 later in the cycle if they can, you know, but again, it's, it's the coaching, you know, and again, you're right. Mental wins and losses. That's one thing, but the mental approach there to the game and not being able to respond, you know, cause typically American teams were very mentally tough, even in days when they weren't, uh, even in the history when they weren't uh, technically talented and they needed to work on that. But now it's kind of flip flopping where they're getting a little more technically good, uh, but the the mental approach is yeah. way off. So yeah. um, you know, and that that really comes down to coaching and uh, and a real belief that you you can you know you can raise your game and and, and confidence in yourself that you can that you can respond um, with force when other teams raise their game. Well, this comes to a question about the the program as a whole, the sort of top down um, mm-hmm. philosophy that that obviously has come into play with Jurgen Klinsmann's leadership and and, and reports out there. You Grant Wall talking about a, a power struggle within U.S. Soccer. Jay Burhalter taking over some of those technical director duties. And I guess we're we're now at a place where we really don't know what's happening and who's necessarily in charge of everything, Brian. Yeah, I mean, Tab Ramos is still the youth technical director. Um, and then what ex- what influence does uh, Jurgen Klinsmann exert over him? You know, I, I would guess that it's a lot. I mean, I think, you know, Jurgen wanted, he always wanted uh, control over the whole program. And if you recall, when the U.S. bowed out of the 2010 World Cup, he made that, that uh, really important lecture. I think that was influential in him getting the job, where he talked about the approach of young players and, the hierarchy and and uh, and and the you know and the college game and everything like that, um, you know, and I think that he won't, you know that's something he wants to change. But that being said, who's appointing these coaches? Who's gonna who's gonna who's evaluating these coaches' pro- progress? Uh, you know, if something doesn't go right, who where's the accountability and stuff? So these are all questions that I think everyone's left out in the dark right now because obviously your U.S. Soccer and um, and uh, Jurgen Klinsmann would probably dispute those reports, but that doesn't mean that they're not true either. Um, so there's a lot of questions as to who's making these decisions right now, and where is the where is that clear vision? Where is that um, you know, like I said, the accountability? Who's who's in charge, and, and where's the where's the confidence going to come from in the whole program that people can look up to and, and follow and want to you know, and then going to lead this program? Uh, it's very much a weird time right now in U.S. soccer. It is very much a weird time, and when we have things like, look, obviously the results have been bad, Brian, crashing out of the Gold Cup when they did, certainly losing to Mexico in the CONCACAF Cup, and then following that up with that very disappointing, dispiriting loss to Costa Rica in Philadelphia, and, and or sorry, at Red Bull Arena, and it, 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 leads, it all feeds into what I'm going to ask you next, and that's the question about sort of Jurgen Klinsmann's public stance on all of these things he had uh, I, I know people would probably say i'm making a big deal out of this but to see an, a sitting head coach who is struggling through a difficult time with his team 
go out of his way to retweet and praise an item that look sheds some some good some some smart light on the situation. Wendy Thomas's piece at American Soccer Now. I know you're aware of this. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just it just seems like the kind of thing a a desperate coach will do. Certainly, a coach who doesn't necessarily have a grasp on his position or what he's supposed to do. If he was confident of, of his program, he doesn't need to go out into the world and say, hey, everybody, look at this thing that says I did some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're, they're trying to recapture the message because uh, for most of us writers, it's it's been very negative right now. Um, believe me, I've, I've been sharply critical of how things have been run. And, but, you know, at the flip side, I also understand it from their perspective. It's, they, they can't let the narrative get away. Um, you know, they have to... They're trying to at least, you know, try to keep everyone on the big picture, and, and they need the public to believe in them. They need the, they need there to be like some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. They need to be, they need to have a direction that they're going to that everyone sees, and they're trying to really get it. But yeah, it's obviously when the results aren't going your way, and he's not a new coach anymore. He's not a new technical director anymore. I mean, this is, he's been around now for a while, and the results aren't getting better. They're getting worse. And the U.S. team at all levels seems to be regressing, not just in the world, but in CONCACAF, too. Um, these are bitter, bitter pills to swallow for American fans. So, yeah, the, they're really trying to, you know, put out their, um, you know, uh, a piece. And obviously, Wendy did a good job writing it. Um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything, but it was very well written. And, and, and there was a good laundry list of items there, and I think everyone should read it. Uh, but... It's um you know it's it's going to be really interesting how this thing plays out. Particularly uh, if they don't win or get three points, the national full national team doesn't get three points in in um the way at Trinidad and Tobago um, next month. Or if you know the U twenty threes don't uh, be, aren't they they aren't competitive against Colombia. They're all the problem is is like they're, 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 yeah they they got the, the last series of games in October were bad. But there's the, the the game. There's going to be further judgments and further further you know areas where there you know, bellwether bellwether moments coming up on the near horizon mm-hmm. that uh, you know it can get very very ugly um, and it could just continue to snowball out of control. Um, and so they really have to kind of get control of that message and keep everyone focused. Yeah, we'll see if they're able to do that. Um, the the qualifiers coming up in November, smack dab in the middle of the MLS playoffs. We expect to see, I guess, usual suspects there. Certainly you can't mess around too much, even though the two teams that you're playing, uh, I think it's, uh, is it St. Kitts and, and Nevis and Trinidad and Tobago? I'm not sure who the... I, I've lost the minnow, uh, Brian. I'll have to go look at the schedule. But uh, this... So this this um, the beginning of Concacaf qualify World Cup qualifying won't bring us new names, but we will expect to see some new blood come January. That's traditionally the camp um, where MLS players certainly get a chance to to go in uh, and get a look from the U.S. national team head coach. And the playoffs will be yeah, a, I mean, uh, playoffs will be a stage for for that. But yeah, go ahead. Who who are you identifying? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I, I my philosophy is that it would be nice to see new blood brought in, even in qualifiers too. I mean, you kind of see that throughout the rest of the world. They're not, there's no January camp in a lot of big European countries. They have no blood, they, they, and friendlies are few and far between. So they have to kind of bring in new guys in, in, in important moments, and it kind of separates the men from the boys. And and also in Clemson, I, I toss this fact out there: there's only been one player one MLS-based player to make his national team debut 
uh, under Klinsman in his entire four plus years of coaching, and that was Alan Gordon um, in 2012. He's the only guy who played made his national team debut outside of January camp. So yeah, it's an important wow. camp, but it's also tricky for the players because they, um, uh, you know, they're middle of the off season. They're they're really out of the flow of the game, and you don't necessarily get the best look at these players too while they're doing well. But yeah, I think Ethan Finley is the biggest thing. I think everyone talks about not just because of the year he's had. But because of the way he plays the game and his skill set is exactly what the national team lacks. It's a, it's a really you know a true speedy winger who really likes to create goals and, and assists, and he plays out wide too. I mean, just about every a lot of times, Klinsman has during his four plus years has used wide players, just usually their central place players, and he uses, he uses them out of position. Um, you know, like Bedoya and others, and Danny Williams played you know wide midfielder when he first came into the team came into the team. So it's it's kind of a weird position. He seems to address a direct weakness. Another guy is Matt Hedges, too, uh, just because I think you're looking at an MLS guy who's um, one, one of the best teams in the league, but he's also a team captain. He's got the maturity, and, and you don't think he's going to get phased uh, by the moment of that. I know he, he played a little bit last January camp, but he was also late. And he was also brought into the camp late, but I think he's really made ready to make that full transition. And there's a couple other guys, too, as well. But those are the first two that I really think um, uh, are going to be interesting to look at. Okay, what about Darlington Nagby? Uh, obviously, just became a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Uh, and, and turning it on just now as the Timbers go into the playoffs, we've talked about his goal-scoring form, but he's he's definitely a talent, Brian. Yeah, and I think he's going to get, uh, for sure, going to be part of um, January camp. Uh, I'd be stunned if he wasn't, provided there's no injury. I mean, there's a guy who's, you know, he's, his numbers aren't as good as a guy like Ethan Finley, for example. Um, and over two years, uh, you know, he just, his production level, you know, you look at it and you think, okay. But then at the same point, too, there's speed, there's athleticism, there's good touch on the ball, there's some good mm-hmm. skill sets, too. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the work rate throughout the entire 90 minutes is kind of missing. But I think he's really, and I mean, the last couple of weeks, he's played fantastic soccer. And I think maybe, you know, since he's become a citizen, he's really, you know, turned it on as well, too. Uh, you know, and I think physically um, and skillfully, he, he's he's ready for that move, too. So, yeah, for sure, I think he can get a look. But, you know, I mean, so I guess, yeah, you could say Nogby, Finley, and uh, Hedges are three guys I, I'm kind of keeping an eye on, too, that would, that are going to be, would probably make sense to, uh uh, get a get a real hard look at January, not just like a token appearance, but really let's see what they can do. Yep. All right. So let's let's come to the MLS Cup playoffs. As I said, some a lot of these guys are going to be on that stage. Nagby and and Finley, as you mentioned, certainly Matt Hedges uh, with FC Dallas, top seed in the West. When you look at uh, let's you know the knockout round matches that we've got coming up today and tomorrow. Uh, first of all, which one do you think is the 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 best? These are great matchups, all of them. Yeah, I mean it's good. <laughs> It's kind of hard to think that some of these teams aren't going to be around by the, by November. Um, so yeah, obviously everyone's looking at the Galaxy uh, Seattle game series, uh, uh, and and Galaxy's dip of form the past uh, um, a couple of weeks, or actually really the last month or so, they haven't played that well, um, and particularly their road form all season just is not up to snuff, and that's why I think uh, you know Seattle's got the edge clear going, playing at home. LA's defense is struggling. Uh, Dempsey and Martins are really in a full swing. Seattle's not a beat team, but they don't really need to be. So uh, I think uh, with, you know with their top guns in form, it's clearly the edge. And imagine just seeing all these names and, and that that the Galaxy have. They're just not going to be around the next month and a half, and that's kind of a 
um, uh, you have to take a step back. Something wrap your mind around. I thought they were going to be unstoppable when they had uh, Dos Santos and Gerard. But yeah, yeah I'm going to go with a Seattle in a two-one win in that. Okay, so that's tonight. That's the second game tonight. DC United in New England is the first one, Brian. And uh, you know, I sort of wrote I wrote something today for U.S. soccer players. It sort of outlines that this is a battle of 1.0 teams. I mean, they're, they're, it's not that they're bad, but they're sort of scrambling to stay relevant in the league that's moved past them organizationally. But they're still yeah. like, there's still a lot of talent in New England. I mean, talk about guys who could get a look yeah. coming into next year. Kellen Rowe and and uh, and obviously Lee Wynn's been a little bit in and out of the, uh, of the uh, the setup, but. This is a good, talented team. Yeah, I have a piece on Roe coming out later today. Um, so good timing. But, yeah, I, I think that D.C. United, I mean, people kind of get fooled because uh, because they had a nice win against Chicago recently and then New York City FC, but those are bad teams. Uh, you take out those two wins, they've, they've just been very, very poor against good teams uh, for the last couple of months. Um, very uninspiring performances I've seen from them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with New England in a three nothing win, wow. even though they're playing on the road. I yeah. just think DC United just looked like a team that had given up. I mean, it looked like something was very seriously wrong with DC United against um, Columbus, and to ask them to turn around from a performance like that uh, on just a couple of short days, uh, I don't see it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems in New England, you're yeah, right. They, they they've got a lot more talent. Uh, then people give on, and, and certainly uh, I'm, I would be looking at a, a New England Red Bull series and uh, seeing maybe trying to see, you know, that's going to be a very interesting series because Red Bulls haven't always played very well against New England. But, yeah, I think um, so it wouldn't be far hard to see New England go on a roll here in the playoffs. Uh, they might be just a team that's built for the, these kind of games, like some teams are. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't see D.C. United really – yeah, I'd be stunned if they if they uh, if they advanced. Yeah, a little a little a little chilly and rainy at RFK tonight. So uh, I imagine that the conditions will have something to say about the outcome, but shouldn't be overly uh, shouldn't be a, a large problem for those teams. Uh, I'm not sure it benefits either one of them. DC United just going to try to muck it up against against them. All right. So tomorrow night's games, Brian definitely want to get you on the record. For the second set um, in the East, it's Montreal and Toronto, and that's the you know it it, it sort of it certainly can be billed as Drogba versus Jovinko. Uh, Montreal just mm-hmm. just beat Toronto on Sunday to grab that spot in yeah. the playoffs and get that home game. Uh, it, it's difficult to beat a team back to back. That's even a you know that's reasonably good, and I think Toronto, by virtue of making the playoffs, at least gets that credit. But I think I think Montreal has to be uh, favorites here pretty strongly. Of course, of course. I mean. Look, it, it, look. Toronto can certainly win this game. It would not be a stunner if they did. I mean, Giovanco can make magic. You know, Altidore can can score big goals, and Michael Bradley can can boss the midfield if he really wants to. It's um, it, it, that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that Toronto walks. But the fact that Toronto wins this game, but the fact is, is they just don't have the defense. I mean, they've given up I think 58 goals on the year, which is unusually high for a playoff team. And, you know, I just think, you know, that's just really tough to um, to have an edge when you have a guy like Drogba who's who's on a war path through MLS right now with 11 goals in 11 games. Um, you know, it just – and then they also have other guys like Piotti. And, and yep. uh, yeah, they have a lot of – and Oduro, you know, is, is, is off and on his whole career has been. He still can be very, very effective, and, and the game's going to be opened up for him with, with only more with Drogba. So, yeah, I think uh, – you know, it, it, Montreal is a clear favorite, and I think I'm going with a three to two win. Um, a little high scoring. It's just, 
Yeah, in a shootout. Yeah, bit of a shootout there. And the Western Conference, um, you obviously uh, you have um, Portland hosting Sporting Kansas City. Of all of these matchups that we've got, I mean, with uh, considering LA's form and having to go to Seattle, obviously DC United down and, and, and the revolution with the talent, Montreal in, on a high with Drago. This is the first round knockout round game that is the most evenly matched. And I don't know how you, I, I've got I've got Kansas City coming out of it, but uh, you know that's that's by the hair uh, by a hair, uh, uh, Brian. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to come down to the, Benny Fieldhopper. I think is going to have to really have a a big game. Um, uh, Portland's in good form; they're scoring goals, uh, and and they I like how they've been playing lately. Yeah, I mean the thing is, Kansas City has the experience edge too. A lot of these guys have been here before. I, I'm going with a Portland win. I think they're going to come out young and hungry, but sometimes, you know, this is, you're right, this is a really tough game. Some, a lot of times experience, uh, is a big factor in playoff success. Uh, and, and they got a load of it in Kansas City. Um, but still, it's tough to look at it, look at a team playing at home and, uh, and I, and with especially a team that's playing as well as Portland has. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, um, well, I think I had a two-one win with uh, for Portland. Yeah, you know, I and we had uh, we just had that that game against the Galaxy that Sporting won, where Benny Failhaber didn't start, came off the bench. I'm reading after mm-hmm. the, after the fact that he was surprised at not being included. Peter Vermees, Peter Vermees is talking about there are variables, et cetera, et cetera, in that very Peter Vermees way. And I'm seeing today something about how it's not it's not a certainty that that Benny Failhaber starts against Portland. I don't understand what's happening there, Brian. What's happening? I think Benny Fieldhopper plays well when he has a chip on his shoulder, and I think I think anger is a good motivation motivational tool for Benny. Just my own my own insight and guesswork into the whole thing. I mean, if you see, you know, throughout his whole career, he's sometimes when he's on the bench or national team purposes, or he's snubbed or anything like that, he comes out and wants to prove people wrong and just plays very well. I think I'd be stunned if he's not starting tonight, but. I would also it also wouldn't surprise me if the fact that he wasn't playing uh, or he didn't start against the Galaxy was a way just to kind of you know light that spark and and start that uh, chain reaction that usually you know puts out positive results. I mean, it, it, different players work different ways. Some players need a kick in the pants. Some play, play, some players need to get angry for them to perform at their best. And you know, uh, Peter Vermees would know as well as anybody, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case with Benny. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, this is the guy, this is the coach who who got Benny to the point now where we're talking about how he's an omission from the U.S. national team setup. When when he was in New England, he had a couple of bright moments, Brian, but it, it wasn't this level. And there were a lot of questions whether, whether or not he could even fit into sporting system, which required him to be uh, more of a two-way player, which is exactly what Klinsman's criticism of him was. It's, it's been pretty amazing, the transformation of Benny Failhaber, especially at considering where he was in his career when he came back to MLS. Yeah, I mean, he's grown uh tremendously as a player and he's done some great things i mean you wonder where his status would be on the national team if he was a few years younger right now than he is i mean it's tough to you know he's he's now on the wrong side of 30 i believe and uh you know that's tough to say okay we got this creative midfielder let's let's start you know building everything around him at that age uh you know maybe a short term fix he would be good at um and but certainly i think you know in games you need to win right now uh he would qualify as a snub based on what he's done. I mean, he's, he's, 
he, he's scored, he's assisted, he's done a lot of very, very impressive things. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he comes out tonight. And, uh, it would, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes out and, and you know, um, uh, fully motivated and on fire. And if that does so, then Kansas City has is more than likely to walk away with a win if he's playing that well. But yeah, his transformation, his growth as a player, um, just all over the years, um, you know, through ups and downs, it's been a remarkable career. It's not not a smooth trajectory. I mean, even when he was in Europe, he struggled to get off the bench uh, at, at a lot of locations too. But he's always found his way to get back in there and show everybody where that natural talent is and what he can do when he's on. Um, it's uh, he's never been down and out, and you can't always count him out either. It's uh, really an impressive career that shows a lot of mental strength as well to fight through what he has. Yeah, we've got so so you've got the Seattle Sounders beating the Galaxy. Uh, did we already cover that? Is that is that correct? Uh, yeah, I have the Sounders winning. All right, Sounders winning, Portland winning, Montreal winning. Uh, and the New England Revolution winning. So only one uh, one road team in the knockout round going through for Brian Chiretta. That sets up uh, FC Dallas versus uh, Seattle and Vancouver uh, against Portland in the second round in the West. That, that Both of those ties, both of those series would be very interesting. Uh, we've seen the, the we've seen FC Dallas and the Sounders go up against one another before. Um, you have then you would have New England going to New York as you talked about already, and then Montreal facing a, a Columbus team that uh, is is flying pretty high right now. Those would be some good conference semifinals, Brian. Absolutely. I mean, I think I mean that Montreal Columbus game would be series would be very interesting. I mean, I, it's just amazing where what, what kind of year when you look back on it that Montreal's had. I mean, starting with that Concacaf Champions League run to the finals and then uh, starting off the season somewhat poorly, then just gaining strength and then adding Drogba to put, you know, to put them over the top. I mean, yeah. And considering where they were last year when they ended, I think with the worst record in the league to where they are right now, it's unbelievable. What a turnaround, what a, what a growth of a team and, and the city's firmly behind them too. I mean, it's, uh, um, they're, 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 that city's really now on board with this team. You're wondering when that was going to happen. And, uh, it looks like it has too. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's just a great, great story on and off the field for, for that team and, and certainly wouldn't surprise me uh, I don't have them winning at all but if you were to tell me Montreal would, would lift the MLS Cup uh, I certainly would not be surprised and I don't think many people would be surprised either with, nope. with how they've played um, the past couple of months don't think any player uh, that has arrived in MLS, especially in midseason, has ever fit better than Didier Drogba fits in Montreal, uh, both on the field no and what question. he's changed about them. And as you said, capturing the imagination of a, a francophone city for with a francophone player. It's, it's been fantastic. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and read his work, especially as we head into CONCACAF uh, uh, World Cup qualifying, as obviously MLS Cup playoffs as well. Brian. Thank you very much for the time. Looking forward to the Kellen Rowe piece. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks very much, Jason. Talk to you soon. There goes Brian Sharetta. Good stuff from him. Always uh, good to talk to Brian. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. We've got over hump day. It's, it's done. Well, this portion is done. We've got so, a little bit of day left, but we're almost there. We've talked about Scrapple. We've talked about Grits, and now we're going to move on and uh, get the un- MLS Cup playoffs underway tonight. We'll see what the FIFA fallout from this upset bladder interview is. If you want continuing discussion on all this stuff, you know, Sirius XM FC Channel 85 is where you need to be at 11 o'clock. All right. Is that it? I'm, all, I'm all done. I'm all over. I think we're out of here. Appreciate uh, the calls as well. You guys got the uh, schedule switch. 
down. I didn't, but you guys did. Good stuff there. We'll see you on Thursday. We'll have two teams eliminated with the second round of games coming up. See you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart